Well, you can go ahead and take a seat, and our young friends are welcome to join um, uh, Olivia, our director of children, our, of family ministry here, and uh, they're going to have their special time together. So um, welcome everybody here in person as well as online. Um, I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at Table Life Church, and it's so great to see so many familiar faces, some new faces. I know we have uh, quite a few people that are joining us, um, whether here at this time or probably sometime in the future watching the recording of the service. So welcome. I'm glad you're here. Well, I thought that we would start out our message today a little bit different than normal because I like to mix things up. And, um, and last week I shared a little bit about how I don't think we should take ourselves too seriously. We talked about joy last week. Well, we're going to have a little bit of fun here this morning because Chris Kringle is coming out, and I'm going to ask. I have three participants who are going to join me up front for a little bit of a game to get things started here. And, um, and these folks, um, you may have seen them before. They're new members in the last year or so, and um, this is our way of christening them into membership. You all can stand up on stage so people can see you. Okay, so we get yeah, Christ sinning, Christ sinning, something, Chris sinning, something like that. Um, but anyway, so we are going to play a game that probably you've played before. It's called the like Yankee gift swap or white elephant game. And um, they did not purchase these gifts. I did and or found them. Actually, we're in the spirit of re-gifting. So that's really what these gifts are about. And we have three gifts here. I don't want to knock them over. I'm going to put that there. Um, we have three gifts here, and the game goes that um, one of our participants will choose a gift, and they'll unwrap it in front of everyone. Well, the second participant to go will uh, have the choice of stealing that gift from that person, if they're not nice, or maybe, maybe they are, maybe they just want the gift, um, or they will go on and they will take, there's no cheating in this game. I don't think you can cheat in this game. I don't know. Or they can go and steal or take the next gift and unwrap it. And then the third person has the choice of either of those two gifts or do they go for it and take the gift. Well, if their gift is stolen, they also have the choice if there's someone else that has a gift open, then they can steal that gift or they would have to be forced to choose the last gift that's available. So are we clear in rules here or totally unclear? Clear as mud, right? That's how we go. So... Um, so I'm going to randomly select who our first person is, whoever I point to. Let's see, one, two, three. Yes, we have Dave. Dave is going to be going first. Say hi to Dave. Hi, Dave. Okay, so, hi, Dave. Okay, Dave, Jake, and Maria here. So Dave, you have your choice of gifts. So you've got to unwrap one. Which one is it going to be? Go ahead and take it. Yeah, just, just take it. Yeah, there's interpretation here. You don't know that. We don't know that. It could be something else really fun. Yes, I'm trying to psych out okay. Like You're trying to, okay, go ahead. Open, open. We don't have all day here. Come on now. Come on. I know, time's a ticking, right? Just, we don't have all day. This is fantastic. Show it, show everyone. Here's to be a picture of your cat. Pastor Chris's cat. A joyous picture from the 80s, the 80s version from Life Touch or, I know. Okay, and Jake, you're second. Oh, I want this cat. You want the cat. Oh, I want this <laughs> you cat. want the cat picture. Yes, cat. Okay, so Dave, guess what? You got to take another gift. I'm sorry, it was stolen. So Maria, now you have to think. You have to be strategic here. Which one do you want the most? I don't know. Dave, you're not really lucky. We don't have all day. We don't have all day here. 
This, this is for you from our membership class. So this is the 1960 manual of the Church of the Nazarene, our denomination. So this contains oodles of information for you as part of our two-hour debates that we had there. Okay, so Maria, you're left with a choice here. Do you want the cat picture? You want the manual? Oh. She wants the manual. Oh, my. This is brownie points right here, right? Little brownie points. Bonus points. I don't know. Okay, Dave, you can steal, you can steal the cat picture, or you can take a chance with our last gift. You can't steal it back. No, it was just stolen from you. The cat picture or the random? Which, what do you think, guys? Cat, cat? Open, 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 open. Okay, let's do it. Okay, we'll find out what this is. This is the mystery present. There was not a bag big enough I could find, so we had to resort to other random wrappings here. I was sort of right. It's the Table Life Church. Hold that up, hold that up for everyone to see. Table Life Church for the toilet seat cover. And what does it say, Dave? Be here, be loved, and belong. You want to be reminded when you're... Okay, let's give our three contestants a round of applause. Thank you all. You can take your gifts with you. And yeah, you can put that, put that in your office somewhere or have fun, with, have fun with that. You can take that with you. No, thank you. The toilet seat, yeah, it's the gift that keeps on giving, right? So, um, yeah, so like a little bit of fun. It helps have some fun. But on, on a serious note, we're going to kind of drop the mood very quickly here. Have you ever felt like a gift that nobody wants? So, let me repeat that. Have you ever felt like a gift that nobody wants? The toilet seat cover, right? But have you ever been the last to be chosen, right? Yeah, most of us have had that experience. Well, I came across this poem. Um, I was in the process of doing some research, reading some articles, and I came across this poem at the beginning of this one article that I had found, and um, kind of opened and set the stage for the article. And it, the poem's called Picking Teams. It's a poem by Alan Alberg. And um, I'm going to just share, it's very brief, um, and maybe you can relate to this. And Picking Teams, this is what it says. It says, when we pick teams in the playground, whatever the game might be, there's always someone left to last, and usually it's me. I stand there looking hopeful and tapping myself on the chest, but the captains pick the others first, starting, of course, with the best. Maybe if teams were sometimes picked starting with the worst, once in their life a kid like me could end up being first. I tripped across this poem, um, like I said, when I was looking at some articles and doing some research, um, and really looking, about, looking at the long-term effects, the studies that have revealed long-term effects of being picked last. Long-term effects, did you know? That studies have shown that you end up becoming, believe it or not, more sarcastic, cynical, uh, you're more likely to keep others at an arm's length or not reveal really what's going on inside of you, remaining surface level in your sharing, uh, or having a protective wit about you, trying to make everybody laugh to distract from what you're feeling. Um, but, but there's another effect that the article that I was reading also revealed, and that was quitting. Quitting. 
quitting things, people, relationships, life, all together? Well, today, we have a real-life story of people who were picked last in life, who were chosen last. A group of people who were considered to be unloved, uh, maybe unlovable by many, in many ways that we, many of us can relate on some level to that feeling. And in many ways, this, this group of people uh, quit things and quit people in life altogether. And the story that we're looking at today is that of the shepherds. The shepherds. And if you've been with us, we're in the fourth week of Advent, as we've shared already, and we've been in this series called Regifted. And just like the game we played, we're, we're talking about not just the physical gifts and the fun of Christmas and receiving, but the gifts that, that God gives us, the gifts that Christ's coming gives us, and that are kind of turned around and passed around, but then we're called to gift ahead. We're called to gift forward, to pay forward. And the first week, we talked about the gift of hope, how Jesus gives us hope. And we talk about the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, this elderly couple of age who could not have children and they were blessed with the birth of this, this baby, but there was a, a gift of, of hope that was given by an angel to the priest Zechariah. And in that, then we talked about Zechariah's song in the second week and the gift of peace, the gift of peace that's different than the world's peace that's a kind of peace that surpasses understanding and, and a kind of peace that Zechariah announces with the coming of Christ. Not the absence of conflict, but an inner peace that works its way outward. And then last week we talked about joy. Joy and the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who went to go visit Elizabeth after she had received word from the angel that she was to bear the Messiah. And how she only experienced that joy when she came together with Elizabeth, right? That, that joy is experienced in the context of community, of relationships. Well, today we're leapfrogging ahead, really, over the birth of Jesus. We're going to come back to the birth of Jesus on Christmas Eve, so join us on Saturday for that. And, and uh, today we're going to be talking about regifting love. Regifting love. With a story of people that were deemed unlovable. The story of the shepherds. Because they play such a huge role in the story of Christmas, even though they were deemed so unloved and unlovable. Because God's love was demonstrated in this. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. And the story starts in verse 8, goes through verse 18. We're going to read the whole chunk of this scripture together so you get the whole feel of the story. Um, and so Luke tells us, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. They were a scary angel, right? And the glory of God shone around them, and they were terrified because it's a scary angel. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today, today in the town of Bethlehem. Today, a Savior has been born. He has been born to you. He is the Messiah. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told of them about this child. And all who heard it 
were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So the shepherds, unloved, maybe unlovable, We've just, we've kind of lost the sense of how shocking and really countercultural it was for shepherds to be included in this story. And that's one of the things about this story is that if you were going to make up a story about somebody going to be God and being born, like if you wanted to like bolster up like the believability of it, you probably would not include shepherds as being the first ones to see him. We've kind of romanticized the idea of shepherds over the years, though. Have you ever seen, like, a little kid's Christmas pageant, right? With all the, like, the, the, the puffy costumes that the kids are in and with the sheep and the shepherds out there, and it's all cute and lovely. But we've forgotten why it's so surprising that God chose the shepherds to use. The shepherds, believe it or not, were the first ones for the angels that the angels came to and to share this news. They were the first to see Jesus, and then they were the first to carry the good news of Jesus ahead, to, to re-gift the good news of Jesus, to pass it on to others. But they didn't start out there. They started out as unlovable people who had never been picked for anything. So the thing is, though, the, the shepherds were not always seen in such a negative light, that if we back up, hundreds and even thousands of years, uh, we see that shepherds were actually held in a positive light at some point. But by the time Jesus was born, they were kind of looked down upon, and and we're going to look at several ways about that. Because uh, when we think of shepherds, we think of the cute kids, right, taking care of the sheep on the, the mountainside and having a lovely old time doing so, right? Like eternal camping trip, think about that. Those of you that like camping, those of you that don't, no, you're like, no, don't include me with that. But, but we see in the Old Testament that shepherds were portrayed in a really positive way. That many fathers in the faith, if you think about it, they started out as shepherds, one of them being King David. King David, who is attributed to many of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. And David described even God as being a shepherd, Right? That, that the people are seen as being sheep. In Psalm 100, he says something like this. He says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. There's imagery that's woven all throughout those scriptures. There's symbolism in the Old Testament of a shepherd as one who protects, as one who watches over, as one who looks over, that's associated with God, all those roles of God as this, this caring father. But by the time Jesus was born, this understanding of shepherds had largely changed. But the question is, why? Why did it change? Well, because being a shepherd was not a fun job. (laughs) It's not something that you would really want to do, because shepherds, they spent a lot of time away from everybody. They spent a lot of time on their own. That If you were a shepherd, it's very, very hard to have a family at all. That most of the time, these were single people, single by necessity in order to do the job. And the responsibilities were things that most of us would not want to do. I mean, majority of your job was scoop and poop. You know, you take the dog out like, what, three times a day, four times a day. Think about doing that for every single sheep you got, right? You got to do something with it. It's a hard job. You got to work the night shift, like every single night, not just the day shift, but the night shift. And people would take turns trying to get just a little bit of shut eye here and there. So you're sleep deprived. It's awful. 
Uh, but, but what was also interesting, though, is that this group of shepherds, this group of shepherds was very close by to Bethlehem. That, that in order for the angels to announce and for them to immediately go and be there that night, that they were close by to Bethlehem. And you want to know why? Well, most likely, these were the shepherds that worked for the priests. These were the shepherds that worked for the priests and, and worked for the religious leaders in town. That these were the shepherds who were shepherding sheep that eventually were going to be used for the Passover sacrifice. They were tending to the flocks that were eventually going to be sacrificed. And, and you think about it, it, it kind of draws a modern comparison, I think, to, to being like, these are kind of like the sweatshop workers who were putting together holy crosses. But eventually, eventually there would be a need for no more sacrifice. You're tying those ends together. These are the people preparing the sheep for the sacrifice, but they were called to attend to the birth of Christ the last to be sacrificed. So it was not a fun job, though. And eventually, uh, well, uh, because of the nature of the work that I just described, them being on their own, having to deal with all kinds of poop and that kind of stuff and these animals, they were deemed ri uh, ritually unclean. Meaning that even though they worked for the religious people, even though they worked, they were outsiders. They were not allowed to join in religious practices or worship. Uh, they, that it was thought that God loved the shepherds less than any other person or any other individual, except for maybe sinners and tax collectors. But also, they didn't make a lot of money. They were poor. They were poor. They didn't earn a lot of money in that practice, and they had a bad reputation because of it, that many were, had to go and begin stealing and lying and cheating their way. They had that reputation, a negative stereotype of, of the shepherds. So, so you kind of look at all these things together, right? And you can't help but ask the question, but why would you ever choose to be a shepherd? Well, the answer is you didn't. You didn't. These were people that there was no other way for them to make a living. These are people that sometime maybe had been incarcerated, had been judged by others as being unworthy, maybe had done something or been ostracized, and the only way for them to survive was in order to attend sheep. But suddenly, suddenly on this particular night, everything changed. Everything changed because the heavens opened, and for the first time in their lives, they were picked first. Have you ever had that feeling? always picked last, always picked last, and then all of a sudden someone comes along and says, no, you. I want you. I want you. Not anybody else, but I want you. And that's what happened. They became the first witnesses to the new thing that God was doing, that for centuries people had been waiting for. Finally, for once, they were picked first. And of course, it would kind of predict all the ways that Jesus was coming, right? To flip the tables, flip upside down the status quo. That Jesus was coming not for the people that thought they had it all together. He was coming for the people that realized they had such a need. And that they were broken. And that they were searching. It would, and it's such a surprising thing just for us to wrap our brains around what this would have communicated to the people reading Luke's text at this time. It would have surprised everybody. It would have surprised everybody reading this, but I think who was also surprised in the story, and we're not really told the reaction, was Mary and Joseph. <laughs> Can you imagine 
right? You, all of a sudden, it's like knock, knock, knock on the door, and who's there, and the shepherds are here? Like, I didn't know. I thought it was DoorDash, right? You're hungry after all that. But, oh my gosh, like, you could imagine what was going through Mary and Joseph's brain. Like, what, what's going on here? This is a mess. Like, this isn't supposed to happen, and this, like, this, this birth and this situation and everything. But then these people are coming. Well, I think the reason is because the shepherds show us first that Jesus, Jesus reveals the magnitude of God's love. The shepherds show us that Jesus reveals the magnitude of God's love. Uh, the, the word that we use theologically at this time of year is called the incarnation, meaning that God put on flesh and became among us. As Eugene Peterson says in his translation of John 1, God moved into the neighborhood. And, and Jesus Jesus is known as the Lamb of God. He's called the Lamb of God in other places, talking about this idea of the sacrifice that was traditionally done by the Jewish people. And this is why the angels said specifically, they said in verses 11 and 12, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger Think about it, claws were wrapping Jesus, and that was what wrapped the baby lambs that were eventually going to be sacrificed. There's this whole connection here. It's amazing. But you see the ultimate love expressed eventually in the cross. The magnitude of humanity's brokenness, but also of God's love and redemption and grace at work. Like I said in our opening prayer, can you imagine giving your life for somebody else? Most of us would have a hard time. We would wrestle with that, even someone in our family, someone that we love. But that's what God did. God, on the cross, submitted to the evil that was around him, to the, to the hate, to the brokenness. But then through it, by enduring it and going through it, he allowed victory over evil and over death, redeeming all of it in the process. And promising that we too, we too can take part in that. And so this is all about love. That the magnitude of God's love is shown through the shepherds. But I think there's also something else here. I think the fact that God used the shepherds and called the shepherds forth to, to see Jesus also demonstrated a lot what Jesus would be doing in his life. Because Jesus, Jesus chooses and uses unlikely people. So if you're an unlikely person, if you've been counted last or you feel unlovable, the good news is Jesus came for you. The unloved, the unlovable, that Jesus is constantly, when we see throughout his ministry in the scriptures, he's bringing the people that are on the outside of the circle, he's bringing them to the dead center. And there's a story that Jesus tells a little bit later in the Gospel of Luke when he's grown up and he's a man. He has disciples that are following him. And he tells this story as he told different parables. And, and this is recorded in Luke 14. And it's a story that I think also shows a, another reason why God might have picked the shepherds. And the setting here is that Jesus is in full swing in his public ministry. He's speaking mainly to the religious people that were trying to figure out who is this guy, right? What is he about? He's speaking to people for whom life had probably gone pretty well, who probably had jobs and families and belonged to this religious power structure and place. And in that context, Jesus tells the story of a dinner party. A story of a dinner party. A man 
who was hosting a dinner party and in, invited so many people. You've done this before. You've had a party or whatever, and you've put out uh, RSVPs, right, to the people that you want to be there. And what always happens? Nobody RSVPs, right? And you're like, how much food should we get? What, how many seats? And nobody sends anything back. Well, he, he sends out these invitations and doesn't hear anything back, so he sends out a servant. You know, this is kind of like the, the ancient level of text messaging. You sent the person out instead of the text. And so he went, sent this servant out to find out who was coming, and apparently people in the ancient world RSVP'd just as well as we do today. And, and so Luke picks up in verse 18 and says this, but they all like... These are the people that he had invited. All alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. So another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets, the alleys of the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes, I believe also in the fields, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. See, looking at the story that Jesus told, on the one hand, it shows what we just said earlier, that God chooses unlikely people, but I think there's something more here. Maybe God picked them because they were the ones who would say yes. They were the ones who would say yes. They were ones who needed the love of God the most, so they would see the promises of God the most. See, we're not told in the story of the shepherds whether or not God asks other people. We don't know for sure. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Maybe, maybe he did go to the emperor and the shopkeeper and the business owner and the worker and the soldier and the parent and maybe they all had better things to do because they weren't expecting God. They didn't admit their need for him. Maybe God went to the shepherds because he knew that the shepherds would be ones to say yes. And maybe, maybe in an ironic way, maybe the less that we have, the more able we are to respond to God. And I'm not talking just about possessions here, but the more you have to lose, the less flexible you are the less open to God working differently than what you thought. See, the story of the dinner party kind of connected with the story of the shepherds. It, it somewhat haunts me personally because I look at that and I see everybody in the story has a really, really good excuse, right? You know, by the way, the, the party itself represents God's kingdom, God's plans and purpose for the world that we're invited into. And, and I have to laugh because I don't think our excuses changed too much in 2,000 years. Uh, you know, first guy is like, I'm out of town, right? I'm busy. You know, I just got the yoke of oxen. Think, you know, I just got the new car and the dirt bike. I've got to go try them out. Like, they're just not new. Think about Christmas morning, right? Or the major life event. I just got married. I just had a major life event, right? I'll get to it later. It's not a great time to go to a party. See, sometimes God doesn't fit into our picture. Sometimes we only do when we can things, when we can fit them in and what we need it's harder for us with good lives to hear the Christmas message. And, and honestly, the reasons why many people choose not to follow Jesus, number one, of course, is Christians. 
Um, believe it or not, their experience with Christians. Maybe you know people that have had that bad experience. Maybe you yourself have been one of them. But the second thing about why people decide not to follow Jesus is their need. They don't see a need. They don't see a need. I'm fine. Life is good. I'm okay. Things are great. That, that we can become people, though, very dangerously. We can become people who think that we don't need to be saved from anything or redeemed or, that, or even admit that we're broken and that we need that freedom and grace. But even more than that, it becomes tempting to think that it's our relationships and it's our family and it's what we have or it's our job or our stuff that's the avenue for why we're here in the first place that we begin to think that it's our good works and all the great things that we do that make ourselves right with God and make ourselves right with ourselves. But see, I think the story of the shepherds and the parable of the dinner party shows more than how God uses unlikely people, though that's a very important part. I think it's also a warning. It's a warning. Not that we pass over and we put off the love of God because we think that we have other options. It's common for us, when we develop other loves in life, loves of things and even people, to put God second. But it's also to realize that it's not that God loves the unloved or outsiders more, but that insiders become unwilling to give up what we have and what we love for the sake of God's purpose. See, when I hear the parable and the story of the shepherds, I think of, I question myself, I question us. My question is simple. Would you accept the invitation to drop everything and go? Would you accept the invitation to drop everything and go? Are, are we hungry? Am I hungry enough for God in my life to set aside what I'm working towards if God wants to change everything around? If God is inviting me to go to respond to him, and I think it causes us to reflect that when God shows up in your life right now, do you accept that invitation to follow? You know, I don't think the story's asking us, number one, to be miserable, right? I don't think it's asking us that we need to be so, you know, not have anything and sell everything and get rid of everything just so that we need him more. I don't think the story's telling us that. Or, or that we need to give everything away to be a missionary and, and live abroad, though I would say that many people are called to do that. But I think the story warns us about depending on the things of the world as the source of our love and purpose. That the story warns us to thinking that the love, that the route to love, to the route to salvation can be found otherwise. I think the story asks us to move a little closer to the shepherds, to become more like the shepherds. How can we become a little bit more like them to form a humility that's born out of our need? That if you see yourself in the shepherds, the last to be picked, feeling unloved or unlovable, to know that God loves you and has chosen you and invites you to be a part of his purpose. And that we all, though, need to move a little bit closer to the shepherds and acknowledge in our lives, in my life, we have things that need healing. We have things and pieces that are broken. We have a desire to love and feel love that we've searched for in so many different places that we have to admit that we try to earn our way to love. But my challenge to you today is simple. 
God's going to come into your life in some way that I can't tell you how or when, but he's going to come. And he's going to come into your life, and there may be a place that's very inconvenient about that. And it may involve sacrifice, of maybe of stuff, but maybe something else, of your pride, of your busyness, of your dream, of your hope or a vision you had. And for those of us who do have a lot and have become a lot, it's going to be harder to let go. But my challenge is when God shows up, will you adopt the posture of the shepherds? Not only to look up, to hear the message, to receive joy in the message, but to say yes. To say yes. Will that be you? To take that posture, to take that step, to respond to that invitation and be more like a shepherd. Let's pray.